Take your Bibles, open up to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We've been in this new series now, and we're concluding chapter 1 today. This series called Calibrated, and the subtitle is A Church That Works. But we've been saying something every week to help qualify that. A church that works, not for salvation, but what church? But Oh, we got to work on that one. We are a church that works not for salvation, but because of salvation. This is my, this is my fear as we plan a service like this and we're emphasizing good works is that our hearts will begin to drift and we will focus on works in the wrong way. We'll again, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll begin to think like, okay, I've got to work for God to love me. I've got to work for God to save me. I've got to, I've got to do good things in order to be cared for and loved by God. And we know that this is not the gospel. This is a false message. This is not the good news. The good news is that you are saved apart from works that by grace through faith are you saved. This is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man, none of us can boast and say, I made it to heaven on my own. All of us, as Jesus said, are condemned already, and we need to be saved. Like drowning in the sea, we need someone to save us, and Jesus has done that. So when we come to the book of Titus, and we're talking about being calibrated, tuned to a standard, Change to match a standard. We know that standard is Jesus. But the reason we're calibrated is not for the salvation. It's because of the salvation he's already given us. And something that he is requiring of us in order to live on planet earth. To help the rest of the world stuck in darkness. And for his glory. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let us turn our eyes to the screen. And I have a little video I want you to watch. Good morning Summit Church. This is Charlotte Vanderyatt. And I am at my past employer for Dines Printing, and we are a print shop. In the digital printing industry, our equipment goes through a calibration process called gradation. This is our image press that many of you would call a copier. However, it is a bit more complicated than that. Our presses are designed to give you a printed image as close to your original as possible. And in order to do that, the machine must go through an internal process of alignments and adjustments to create that clear image. The Bible tells us to be imitators of Christ, to clearly reflect his character. Our own lives must go through a process of refinement and calibrations to be the best representation of him. Don't be just a copy. Be a clear example of the original. Very nice. Thank you, Charlotte, for that uh, video and that example on calibration. Are you starting to get the illustration? Is it starting to make sense, this idea of calibrated? So now we come to the book of Titus, and we're going to continue. Finish chapter 1. We come to the book of Titus, and we're seeing Paul leaving Titus with the duty to calibrate the churches on this island of Crete. And what's the first thing that he does? He tells Titus, go and find godly, qualified, fit men who are able to lead the church. First, by example, as a reality that they have themselves been changed by the gospel, which shows that they're, they're qualified to be able to go and not be hypocritical in their teaching and teach the church sound doctrine. 
But one of the most immediate things that we've seen they must deal with is the false teachers that are pervasive in the church of God, even today, having to look out for, protect the body, feed the body, and look out for those who need to be silenced. Those who are teaching things they ought not to teach, right? Those who are going into the houses and upsetting whole families through teachings. And then he gives an example of these people that they have not truly been changed by the gospel. That their manner of life is such that would actually cause more harm than good. And then at the very end of chapter 1 last week, the verse ends with this. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. All right, I want to I want to say a little personal thing. There's a there's a struggle with the last few weeks of teaching what we're teaching because of the nature of it being so confrontational. I mean talking about last week rebuking people, being ready to rebuke people sharply to their face in such a culture where it's like that's the last thing you should be doing, like where everything inside of us has been taught that to rebuke or to look someone in the face and point the finger is like that's wrong that's not loving that's not good but when you read scripture you're seeing here that the best thing for someone who's caught in bad doctrine who's teaching it what they ought not to teach whose lives not matching up is to to their face rebuke them sharply so that what so that they may be sound in the faith the best hope and help from them is a confrontation that will wake them up but the motivation from us as we rebuke is love wanting to gain our brother or sister This is very serious, though, because God's church needs to grow through good, sound, other words, healthy doctrine. So you're noticing we're not moving on to chapter two today. There's a reason why. I want to read verses 15 and 16. Um, And then we're going to talk about I'm going to to explain why. Verse 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Church, chapter 2 is coming. What is chapter 2? Chapter 2 is going to be the very... The very work of calibration that Paul's giving Titus to now start giving to the people. The actual calibration that the people in the church need. But before we can just say, jump into it, we must first ask this question. Are we fit for good works? That word fit qualified or or ready is our life the manner of which where we would actually be able to devote ourselves to good works and it actually make a difference in the world so let me ask you this do you want your life to make a difference for eternity i think that's a rhetorical question i think all of us would shake our head yes i do not not a single one of us wouldn't want to make a difference in the world how about this what if i said do you want your life to make a difference in your family's life Do you want your life to make a difference in your marriage? Do you want your life to make a difference with your kids? Do you want your life to make a difference with your friends at school or your coworkers or your extended family or whoever you come in contact with? Do you want your life to make a difference? 
Now we're getting to what's at stake and why good works are so important. Why we, in chapter 2, see that God has redeemed us from all unlawlessness to purify himself a people who are zealous for good works. Because there's a reason for it. The rest of the world is stuck in darkness and they need to see hope. But if we are still in darkness ourselves, we will not be able to help the world. So are we fit for good work? So today, an evaluation of self is required before we can jump into chapter two. A humbling, and last week we pointed the finger, right, at those who are unfit for good work. This week, we're going to take the finger, point at ourselves, and test ourselves, evaluate ourselves. You know what? Let's ask ourselves that question. Am I fit for good work? And so you're going to see today, we're going to actually do a self-evaluation. It's going to take four steps, and we're going to look at uh, verses 15 and 16 in order to do that. First things first, guys, if we're going to make a difference in the world, if we're going to be fit for good works, if we want to evaluate ourselves and come to the conclusion to answer the question, yes, I'm, I'm fit and I'm ready, I'm qualified for good works, is this, investigate fruit. Investigate fruit in your own life. He says here, we're going to work it backwards, starting in verse 16. They are unfit for any good work. So what's the thing he said immediately before that? He said, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. And then he describes the nature and the manner of their life. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. These these people who needed to be silenced, who were influencing God's people, that they said with their mouth, I know God. Actually, the word there for profess is confess. And so it, it even gives greater emphasis to the fact that they believed that they were of the family of God. They professed to know God, but what was speaking, speaking louder than their words were their actions, their fruit, what was coming out of them. What the manner of their life was, it says they said it with their mouth, but they denied him by their works. Their fruit said something different. So if we're going to evaluate ourselves, it does require us to look at our own life, put it up against the standard of Christ and see just how uncalibrated we are. Now, listen, every single one of us is uncalibrated. In some way, because all of us are in the flesh. The scripture says the flesh is weak and we will not be just like Christ until we are glorified, according to Romans eight. But that happens once we die and he gives us a new body that's not plagued and burdened by sin and the weakness of the flesh. So I, I always want you to hear the hope here and the thing that's going to calibrate you is the same thing that saves you. If you pay attention to Titus chapter two, 11, which we're uh, memorizing The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, comma, training us to renounce worldly passions, uh, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God is still the agent. It's, it's still the gift. It's the thing that God's giving that you can't do for yourself. It's the thing that you need that you don't have within yourself that only he has. He gives it to you, not only to save you, but also to train you, calibrate you. And he's calibrating you to his son, Jesus. So this evaluation first takes 
the reality of us doing what scripture tells us to do as believers. And that's to test ourselves, to look at ourselves. What is the fruit of my life? What is coming out of me? What do people see? What am I convicted of? And I say, man, I, my manner of life looks more like someone who would say they don't know Christ. Or does it match up with my confession that I do know Christ? Investigate fruit. Second thing is this. Inspect the heart. So investigate kind of is like gathering information. Inspect is more of a scrutiny. Okay, so, so here's the works. Now work it inward. We're going from the out to the in. Now look at the heart on the inside. And by the way, the heart in scripture means your mind. It means your mind. And he's going to also qualify or, or explain it with this other thing, the conscience. So let's go backwards. He says they're unfit for any good work because they profess to know God. They deny him by their works. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. The mind and the conscience is defiled. Well, let's talk about that word defiled. It's the opposite of clean. It's the idea that there's, there's something that has been introduced that shouldn't be there. Something that's infecting, affecting. Something on the inside. There, there's something that's making the person unclean unpure it's been defiled the same way a sickness comes in is introduced to your body a foreign agent and it affects you in a negative way he says here that these people are unfit for good works because let's work it backwards look at their life it's different than what they say they deny them by their works and why why is this the case because their mind and their conscience are defiled your mind it's the things that you believe it's the things you think about. Conscience, it's what you feel. Okay, I believe this. I think about these things. And when I come to conclusions about what's right and wrong, I feel that this is right, this is wrong. This is moral, this is immoral. Isn't this, isn't this the, uh, the experience of the world right now? Everyone's arguing about what's right and wrong, what's true, what you can and can't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what you should say, what you shouldn't say. All of the world since the world has been here, mankind has been arguing to the point of even warring over what's right, who's right, what's good, what's true, what's evil, what's bad. Think about it like this, if we're working it backwards. I do what I do because I think what I think. I do what I do because I think what I think or I believe what I believe. Investigate the fruit the outward works, the fruit says something different than what the mouth says. So when we go in and we inspect the heart of the mind and the conscience, we see that it's defiled. It's not clean. Something has been introduced that has impurified the, the mind and the conscience. Third step is this, identify self then. Scripture concludes, once you see the fruit once you see the heart, then you conclude who the person is defiled. He, he says here in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. The word there, pure and defiled, he's talking about something that's indicative of, per he's talking about the person himself, the actual identity and the reality of the person. Now we're not just talking about what someone does or what someone thinks, we're talking about who they are, their identity. 
You have the pure and you have the defiled. I want you to look on the screen. I have a scripture here from Luke. Jesus says this, for good, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now I want us to, we've heard this one, now I want us to all together turn to Mark chapter 7. It's not on the screen because then I want to emphasize what Jesus says in Mark 7. We've, we've heard that, we've whetted our appetite, now let's all go to Mark chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and next is Romans. I still do that, that's how I find my, my books, the Bible. First and second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Does anybody know it? And you know the Philippians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Wow. How does Jasper find the books of the Bible? Now you know. <laughs> Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Thank you, Awana. Starting in verse 14. This is Jesus talking. And he called the people to him again and he said, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then you are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart, but into his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. And then he's saying, listen, you need to understand that what goes into a person cannot defile him. You're like, wait, 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 help me. That, that, that rocks my even thought of what defilement means. You know, introducing something that defiles. But the issue is here, they all believed it was these external ritualistic things they either did or didn't do that would defile them as a person or more specifically, what they did or didn't eat. So if I eat the wrong food based off the law of God and the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament and the, the Mosaic law, then I would become an unclean person. Jesus says, no, not true. Because food goes into the stomach, it doesn't go into the heart, the mind, or the conscience. I gave you food and these uncleanness as these outward things that you would do that would help you better understand the spiritual reality that I'm trying to bring to you. So when Jesus showed up on the scene and it says he fulfilled the law, that's what it means. He helped us understand what the law is really saying and teaching And the Pharisees were legalistic because they believed that, hey, if you wear this type of clothes, if you listen to this type of food, if you eat this, you don't eat this, you drink this, you don't drink that, that's what's going to determine if you're pure or clean. Jesus comes along and says, not true. 
I'm trying to give you these outer things to help you understand the inner reality. It's about the heart. And notice, too, how he described evil. Evil comes from evil people. Bad fruit comes from bad people. It's not, hey, I'm neutral and I do something good or I do something bad and that determines in the moment who I am. Doing good will not make you good. You need to become good because we're all bad. This is, what's in, this is the point of being born again. The Bible says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who you are. That's who every person is. And in order for change to come and difference to be made in the world, you have to be changed from the inside out. And so Jesus shows up on the scene to reveal it. It's not about these external things. It's about the inner heart that's dead. The spiritual man is dead and I've come to make him alive. And you've confused all these outer pictures that I've given you and shadows, but now the real thing is here and I'm helping you understand it. It's about your heart and who you are and you aren't who you need to be until you become who you need to be and you become who you need to be by God making you that person, not on your own. He does it. How does he do it? By you hearing the gospel and believing. And he, in his miraculous, wonderful power, makes a dead person come to life. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The good tree bears good fruit. The bad tree bears bad fruit. Now let's take it back to Titus. What does he say here in verse 15? Jesus says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled, nothing is pure. What does that mean? This could be a confusing verse. I could actually see someone reading this and saying, hey, if I'm pure, if I'm a Christian, all things are pure. I can do whatever I want to. It's not what this is saying. You have to first understand cleanliness and purity in scripture to understand this to the fullest. So we go back to the Levitical law. If you go to the book of Leviticus, you're going to read about these laws of cleanliness and what would make you unclean and then what you must do in order to become clean. Because here's the issue. If you're defiled, if you're not clean, which means you've touched something that's unclean, a dead body, blood, bodily fluids would make you unclean. Many different things can make you unclean. And then you had to go through this process of becoming clean. And it would take up to seven days. And you'd have to stay away from people. Now think about, think about this. God gave this to the Israelites to teach them something. And by extension, us who now have the full revelation, he wants us to pay attention and learn the laws, our schoolmaster, to help us understand these things. When you are dirty, if you go and touch something, do you make it clean or do you make it dirty? Your hands are dirty. My, my, my kids, I, I don't understand. Like my, my kids, I, my daughter, five years old, I'll give her my phone for two seconds and she'll hand it back to me and it feels like it was pulled out of a vat of, of just mucus and chocolate and gravy and food that was made two weeks ago. She had like how you had it for 30 seconds. How did it become so defiled so quickly? Because her hands were dirty. They're not clean. So when she touches it, does my phone become clean or dirty? It becomes dirty because her hands are dirty. So the point is, you're unclean. Anything you touch will become unclean. You must first be clean before you can make things clean. You see the picture? Now let's bring it to Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. No sin in him. The purest, the only pure man 
to walk the face of the planet. And who does he touch? Who is he not afraid to touch? The, the, the lepers, the sick, the sick, those who were diseased. And people would literally see him touch and get around these people. Even the disciples like, back up. And Jesus is walking over. And then when he touched, did their uncleanness come to him or did his cleanness go to them? Do you see the picture? He touched and things were purified because he was pure. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things they touch are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, all things they touch are defiled. Do you get it? Do you see the, the, the reality of, of evaluating ourselves? The, the reality of Paul saying there are people who are still defiled trying to touch and help people, but they can't because they're dirty themselves. Only thing they're going to pass out into the world is more dirtiness, more darkness, more uncleanness. They need to be clean first. And again, we're talking about the heart, the inner person. Jesus left us the example, right? Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to become clean. Okay, so bear with me. I know that's probably the mind, the thought on your mind. Investigate the fruit. We're doing a self-evaluation. Look at the fruit of your life. Now, inspect the heart. You look at it, defiled. And defilement is linked with what? Unbelieving. What would you conclude about yourself? Now, my... I believe this. I believe we tend to be more harsh. Genuine Christians tend to normally struggle to think that they're saved because they can't believe that a good God would save them. If you have faith and you're believing, you are clean, but your manner of life may yet not yet be conformed or being conformed to the image of Christ. And if that's the case, we need to take the priority to let God change us first before we go and try to change the world. Fourth step is this. I don't think it's good enough just to come to a conclusion and say, I'm defiled. The, the next natural question is, why? Why would this be the case? Infer why. You have all the information that you've gathered. Now draw a conclusion that would be accurate or logical. Infer why. And the why someone would be defiled is because of false doctrine. That's what we've been talking about. False doctrine... Look at verse 14. Remember, we're working the passage backwards. We're going from the outside in. Look at verse 14. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from truth. Then if we keep reading, he's like, man, these are the people who are trying to teach others. They're trying to, they're the ones who are busy within the church and they're teaching things they ought not to. They need to be silenced. And then he says to the pastors, Titus, to tell the pastors, therefore rebuke them sharply to their face for they are devoting themselves, their minds to bad doctrine, Jewish myths, and then commands of people who turn away from the truth. Then he continues, they're defiled because of that. They profess to know, but they deny him by their works. They are unfit for any good work. So we could go like this. I do what I do because I feel what I feel. And I feel what I feel because I believe and think what I think. And I believe and I think what I think because I listen. I listen to what I listen to. I give ear 
to some form of teaching. I think there needs to be a, a refocusing on the word doctrine because I think we tend to, that word has become something that's different than what it actually is. It simply just means teaching. You cannot get away from teaching. Schools are teaching. The shows you watch are teaching. The news is teaching. The books you read are teaching. Every single day, something is infiltrating your mind through ears, through something, and you're drawing conclusions and coming to beliefs. And if your heart, your mind, and your conscience is filled with un truth, things that are not true, bad doctrine, it will affect what you believe, which will then determine how you feel, which will then determine what you do, and then will show you who you really are. And for why false doctrine is the issue. So maybe you're asking yourself this on the screen, help then. You've just done a really good job of making me really feel unsettled, Jasper. Help, how do I change? Well, take note. Take note of verse nine. Look back up to verse nine. What started this whole part that we're in? Look at verse nine. Talking about elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Now look down to verse one of chapter two. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This whole section is sandwiched, sandwiched between this urgent need for elders, for pastors to give instruction in sound doctrine. All of this is right in the middle and motivated by the fact that people have lies that they've been believing. And those lies need to be turned upside down with the truth and they need the truth. And Jesus says his word is truth. So what's going to make us pure? Now, I'm actually gonna put my finger here in the Bible. I'm gonna turn around with you and we're going to look at some verses on the screen. And, and I want you to see if you can find the common denominator in these verses that will answer that question. Here we go. John 15, Jesus said, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Next verse. John 17, as he's praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them. Set them apart. Change them. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up my word, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure, not defiled, but pure by guarding it according to your word? Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 35 and 6 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, Jesus says. But there are some who were there who still did not believe, John 6. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food, Job says. Joshua says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. For then, then 
you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And all of the book of Joshua is the people actually doing this and them having good success and conquering the land. Let's keep going. Second Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Peter also says, just as he does in all of his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters concerning Paul, Peter's talking about Paul now, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yeah, Peter, we're with you, bud. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people who lose their stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's keep going. Now, we're gonna end with this one. This one I really wanna help you understand. Anyone comes to me for counseling and they say, I need help. I say, guess where we're gonna start? I tell you what, all area of your life starts in your mind And I guarantee you, if you take the time to analyze your life and your mind, everything has flowed from what you have been choosing to believe and think your whole life. And God has introduced his word to change that because it has to start there from the inside out. Romans 12 says this, do not be conformed to this world, which is what we're all up against and naturally conformed to, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Wait, 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 wait. Someone comes to me and they say, I, you know, I, I want my circumstances to change. I can't help you there. Someone comes to me and says, well, I want to feel different. Well, it's hard to help you feel different, but, but we're getting a little bit closer. Someone comes to me and says, I want to be or do differently. Okay, cool. I can help you with that. Here's where we have to start. You want to experience transformation. That only comes from renewing your mind. That means the old has to go out. The defiled stuff needs to go out. And the truth needs to come in. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What's the problem with these people in Titus? Their mind and their conscience are defiled. They're not thinking about truth. They're not dwelling on it. They don't believe truth, which means they're unable in their conscience. Always let your conscience be your guide. Letting their conscience be their guide never able to come to a conclusion about what's actually right or wrong because they genuinely feel that this is right and this is wrong because it's directly linked to what they believe either about themselves, about the world, about God, about God not existing, whatever it is, their worldview completely infecting their conscience and they come to conclusions about what's right and wrong. How do you determine what's right and wrong? I mean, is it really just eat, drink, and be merry? Everybody's living in their own truth. Everyone on planet Earth just do their own thing and we can all get along. Doesn't work too well when someone genuinely believes the right thing to do is to eradicate the people who are the problem off the face of the planet. They genuinely have come to their understanding and their conscience through what they believe that this is the right thing to do. Then all of a sudden we're not cool with everyone just living with what they want to live with. Believe what what they want to believe. How do you discern? Not being conformed to the world, being transformed by the renewal of the mind, then that by testing, you're able to discern what is the will of God. Meaning, 
everyone puts God on their side. Everyone brings God down to their level and they do what God commands not to do. Don't take my name in vain. Let me help you understand that better. Don't carry my name under a cause that's yours and not mine. Don't take with you my name to your will. It is God's will be done. What does God want? I guarantee you this, it's not what you want. And so the person who has devoted them lives to understanding God and trying to figure out what God wants above and beyond what they already believe and feel is the person who's on the right track. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, look back at what I told you to take note of. After just taking a few verses out of Scripture, and, and, and I could have kept going. The, the Bible has plenty to say along with what we just read. Look at verse 9 again. Let's read it. Talking to pastors. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word, trustworthy word as taught. You need pastors who will grip this and never let go of it because this is truth. And he must be able to give instruction because this is what people need more than anything, more than food. Just like Job, like this was his portion of food. And he longed for it. Peter tells the Christians he wrote to long for the spiritual milk. Long for it. I've given you a stomach as a physical representation of hunger and thirst so that when you are connected with the spiritual thing that you need, you'll realize like, oh, that's why I have a stomach. This is why God has made food and eating so that I know what it's like to hunger and thirst. And then he can connect that symbolism with this because I need to hunger and thirst for this. And my whole life, my heart's hungering and thirsting has been put on something other than this. No wonder my life is a mess. He may, he must hold firm, give instruction in sound, healthy doctrine, and then also rebuke those who contradict it. Now look at verse one of chapter two again, which is coming next week. Paul says to Titus, but as for you, you teach what accords with sound doctrine because this is what people need. So what's going to make us pure? I haven't said it. What do you think based off what you've heard? What the verses you saw? What is the thing that God is going to use to purify you? The word of God. You think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Remember what Peter did? He's in, Peter's appalled. <laughs> Pulls his foot away. Jesus, no, no, no. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Jesus says, then Peter says, well then, wash my whole body then, Jesus. And then Jesus says, Peter, you're already clean. I've made you clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Those who are already clean only need a little foot washing here and there. You see this beautiful picture? Right, Not letting Peter fall on either extreme, the extreme of legalism where he thinks he doesn't need to be cleaned, 
but also not letting him fall over here where he thinks that he needs to be fully cleaned over and over and over again. Jesus says, no, I've come and I've already made you positionally your identity. I have changed it. That does not change your identity in Christ. Once you come to faith does not change. You become pure positionally. But guess what? You're still on planet Earth, and it's impossible to walk on planet Earth and your feet not get dirty. You still need me to wash your feet, right? Because if you're going to impact the world for me, you must be like me. Because after all, did Jesus make an impact, church? Did he actually influence the world in a positive way? Has he influenced you? Did his purity and his sinlessness have anything to do with that? The fact that he wasn't a hypocrite when he spoke. The fact that he was not guilty of any of the things that he was commanding people to do if they were to follow him gives credit and credibility to the message, does it not? So what is the problem, though, that when we confess with our mouth, we believe in him, but our whole life looks like the world. It's still conformed. It's still dirty. And we go out and we try to touch other people and make a difference, whether it be our kids, whether it be our family, whether it be our extended family or our friends or our coworkers, and we are defiled ourselves. We can only expect that that dirtiness is going to transfer to other people. And this is why he says, these people who are still defiled, they need to be rebuked and silenced because I want them to be sound, healthy in the faith so they can make a difference. <clears throat> Do you see the urgency of being calibrated then? Not because of salvation, not for salvation. But because of salvation, God's already saved you, but he wants to use you to bring others to the faith. And guess what? Your life being conformed to Jesus is one of the main parts of that. In Colossians, he tells them this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. What does that mean? In other words, you want to make best use of your time here on planet earth, then you will spend time walking your manner of life, your behavior in wisdom especially towards those who are in darkness. Jesus said this, you are salt. You are light. Imagine you as an individual grain of seasoning when it's poured over a piece of meat. Does it make a difference? I'm gonna give you a steak that doesn't have salt on it and one that does. Does it make a difference, church? Amen. You are being a little grain of salt on the whole church being sprinkled. But what happens when the salt loses its flavor? It's not able to do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything other than just it needs to be thrown out. It's useless. Your saltiness and your light and darkness is because you're different than the world. You have to be different. You have to be a stranger and a foreigner in this strange alien land. You have to see yourself as a citizen of heaven and an alien of earth. Once you live into that identity and you realize I'm pure, the rest of the world is defiled just like I was until I met Jesus and I want them to meet Jesus. I met Jesus because the light was shining in my life in some way through the people of God who were saved before me and the light came to me. Now I want to keep that going. But if God's church just turns into a bunch of hypocrites that are conformed to the world, that are just singing praises with our mouth, but yet we live just like the world. We watch what the world watch. We talk like the world. We do everything we give into the indulgence of our flesh. We offer no hope to anyone. And we take our light and we hide it. 
The biggest difference you can make in the lives of your kids is to be transformed yourself. Put your energy into being like Jesus instead of your energy into changing them. All the while, you're not changed. People need to see the change. So here's what I want us to leave with on the screen. In preparation for chapter two that's coming in two weeks, because next week we're going to take a little break and focus on the heart of worship. Bring our hearts back together to praise and worship God before we start chapter two, which is really going to start getting and meddling in our life and really start calibrating. We need to make sure we're devoted to this. So here's what I want our hearts to say. I need and want to be calibrated by God's word alone. Can you say in your heart, this is my quote. This is what's resonating in my heart right now. And then we can complete it like this. I want to be pure, not defiled, so I will humble my mind and conscience to receive chapter two. You know, when we were with the worship team and we're about to pray, Ryan was asked to pray and he said, man, I knew you were going to ask me to pray. It was kind of a weird moment where it's like, how did, how did that happen? And then the first thing he said is that God, I pray that today the whole focus would be about you and the cross of Christ. And in that moment, like that's what my heart was feeling. Cause I was, I'm so worried that I'll get up here and emphasize the things that God wants us to, but our hearts through the enemy will be pulled away and we'll forget the cross of Christ. We'll forget why we're doing these things. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into what we always fall into and in thinking that we have to do these things in order for God to love us. It's no, no, no. Jesus died on the cross because you can't, but he can, and he did, and he loves you. And God gave up his only son for you and demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you and it has saved you. So now you don't have to worry about your reconciliation with God that's been taken care of. You can live life and focus on being conformed to him for a good purpose, but that purpose cannot be so you can make him love you. He will not love you any more than he already does because he loves you with the love that he has for his son, which is unending and full, and he will be with you forever. So if he has saved you, that is something that is true. It's not something that you keep. Your works do not obtain salvation, but your works do explain and proclaim the salvation in your life. And God has given you your manner of life and fruit to test you. So you can always come back to this place to be humbled. Like, okay, God, I feel myself drifting, making it about this over here. Center me. I need you. And it's about Jesus. The same grace that comes from the cross to save me as a sinner and make me pure is the same grace that will train me and make me self-controlled and upright and godly in this present age because you redeemed me from lawlessness and you are purifying for yourself a people who are zealous for good work. God, thank you for saving me. You deserve that. If I'm worth dying for, you're worth living for. So make me this person who's devoted to good works. Be patient with me and fill me with mercy and help me to live for you now for the sake of all of those around me. That's the heart. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you are loving, you are kind. More than we know. And Paul prayed to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, that he, he prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be open to understand even more the depth and width and height 
of the love and the power toward us who believe. So God, open our hearts of our mind to even understand your love for us, which goes deeper than we thought yesterday. It's more than we think now. And you'll continue to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And that will change us. Not works done by us in righteousness, but through faith and believing. Every day waking up, choosing to believe the truth in our life about who you are and who we are. And letting you change us. We are yours, God. Have your way in Jesus' name.